Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom Healy, and we're talking with Ryan of Dude Wipes. Uh, and I, I guess the company name is Dude Products, but the product uh, that he's pitching to the Sharks is Dude Wipes. This is Season 7, Episode 4. It's October 16th of 2015, so quite a while ago. Came into Shark Tank, and especially back in the day, this was a big deal, 300000 for 10%. So the company was valued at $3 million coming into airing. Now, these are men's wipes um, that can be used in place of toilet paper or to supplement toilet paper. Uh, you'll hear the whole story of how they created this. Uh, different fragrance, fragrances. Now, uh, coming into the tank, they had done 300000 year-to-date and... Uh, they were estimating about 1.5 million of annual revenue. Uh, had just struck a deal with Kroger, and they're being put in the uh, toilet paper aisle. The store is selling these at $6.49. They're making a 40% margin on it, but then they're making a 60% margin when they sell it online. Uh, 10 to 15% of the company uh, of the revenue is being reinvested into marketing, um, so obviously trying to grow the brand. They ended up getting a deal with Mark Cuban, uh, who would take over 25% of the company for $225,000. So quite a bit higher than what they came in asking um, in terms of valuation um, or a higher percentage they gave up. But they get a deal with Cuban. Uh, let's go to the interview with uh, Ryan and uh, hope you enjoy it. All right, we're here with Ryan Megan of Dude Wipes, but I guess the company's Dude Products. That's correct. That is right. Your, and as we sit here today, what is your title and, and role within the company with your other partners? I am co-founder and chief marketing officer. Okay. And have you been heading up marketing since the company started? Did you fall into that role? Were you the natural guy for the marketing role? Well, as you can imagine, when, uh, when, when the four of us started the company, we all wore many hats for many years. So uh, my natural role is kind of marketing and sales. Um, that's Sean and I, and then uh, a couple of the other guys like Jeff. Mm -hmm. Uh, they he fell more into the uh, financial side. So um, unlike some, you know, entrepreneurs and companies, we were lucky to kind of have a core group that had different skill sets from the from the outset. So we always like to joke that, you know, we probably would have been out, been out of business very quick if Sean and I were just, you know, out there by ourselves running, uh, <laughs> running sales and marketing, uh, <laughs> spending wildly or, ma or making dumb decisions. So, um, so yeah, I, I have always kind of, geared towards this side of things. Um, but we really, uh, and obviously we'll probably get into the growth of the company and stuff like that, but I, I really haven't been able to fully focus on the full CMO role only um, for like the last probably couple of years, um, you know, since we started actually hiring people. And what did you do prior to uh, starting this company? Yeah. So prior to uh, starting uh, Dude Products, I worked for a company called Black Tie uh products. My dad um, founded that company back in 2004-ish. Um, what they actually do, ironically, is they make, um, if you ever, we were just talking about the Masters, if you've ever been to a, a, a golf tournament, uh, the VIP restroom trailers, uh, the real fancy ones, um, he uh, that company manufactures those. So I was doing sales for uh, black tie products before I, I came up. Uh, well, you know, in and around doing uh, Dude Wipes as well. And how did the idea for Dude Wipes come up? So the idea for Dude Wipes came up 
Sean, Jeff, and I, and the and the other guys and friends were um, we lived together in an apartment in Chicago, and you know we would we would always joke that sitting around on um, you know many nights of uh, drinking Miller Lights and eating burritos, we would always talk about our entrepreneurial aspirations, and we were all working normal nine to five jobs, but we we all did have that you know sort of same attitude towards wanting to start a business. So um, shortly thereafter, Sean started bringing back these bulk packs of baby wipes from Sam's Club and started throwing them in the bathroom and started saying, hey, you guys got to integrate these wipes into your bathroom routine, you know, and at first we kind of laughed. And then, you know, finally, uh, he convinced us to try it. And we all got addicted to the routine, you know, and, and that toilet paper was just, you know, not doing the job, adding wipes to the to the mix really gave you a new fresh feeling um, and cleaner than, you know, we'd ever felt before. So it was kind of an aha moment then uh, putting everything together, wanting to start a business that, you know, <clears throat> maybe we should look into this wipes, wipes industry and see what's out there. We knew there was stuff for women. We knew there was stuff for babies, but um, there wasn't anything, you know, marketed towards men. So we, uh, we, we were in our mid twenties at the time. And we, we said, you know, we kind of put our bets on two things. We said, we're probably not the only guys out there doing this. And then the even bigger bet would be, you know, if we put a funny, blunt, masculine spin on a brand for dudes, we could, you know, talk the rest of the, you know, population of males into adopting the habit as well. So um, lucky enough, we were right on both of those bets. Um, and kind of here we are today. Uh, timeline standpoint, you were in your mid twenties. What year was that? So this was like 2011-ish. So you guys had been in business for a few years prior to Shark Tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we, um, after we kind of came up with the idea and the concept, we did we did research on the market, saw, yes, there's really nothing marketed to men. You know, let's figure something out. We shopped around for manufacturers, found a really great manufacturer that believed in our idea um, gave us a little bit of a break on the first MOQ because they believed this market was going to eventually, you know, be marketed to men as well and have a product line for them. So we pulled together 30 K of our own money, uh, got a small MOQ of like four pallets stored it in the spare bedroom of our apartment on Addison and Ashland, a few blocks down from Wrigley and started slanging them out of there. So, um, that was like 2012 ish when we got our first order and we just, stored them in the apartment and we were still working our nine to fives until, um, you know, three, four, five years after that. So how were, how were you selling them at the time? Yeah. That's my question is how and who were you selling them to? <laughs> so obviously the first is, you know, out of your trunk, bringing them to family parties and, you know, your, your, your aunts and uncles and parents feel bad for you. So they, you know, they buy a few packs. Um, but very quickly within six months, we were able to get on Amazon, uh, which obviously it's easy to, to get up on there with a seller account. Um, and then also um, we got lucky that drugstore.com, which slash is walgreens.com um, picked us up as well. So those were our two customers um, to start. And um, like I said, we were all still working our other jobs. So we just tried to sell um, slowly but surely so we could place that next order. Um, and you know, the reorders that we were able to place with our manufacturer 
as you know, time went on, started to become, you know, more frequently and we were growing the brand and growing word of mouth and all that good stuff. We did pick up some um, <clears throat> decent um, third-party sellers on Amazon as well that would sell them as a part of their store. Um, so that's kind of how we slowly built, um, you know, sales to, you know, keep reordering and, and grow the brand in the super, super early days. And then how did Shark Tank find you or how did you find them? Yeah, so we went to an open call in Chicago and probably like 20... 2012 like ish um we didn't even have a product we had a prototype box one prototype box and you know we we're just a bunch of clowns so you know we we have fun with what we do and um we hit it off with the producer and she's like obviously you guys have nothing going right now but you know, there's something here. There's something about you guys. You know, this is a catchy idea. Just, you know, here's my email. Keep us posted. So um, a couple of years later, you know, 2014, when we were, you know, somewhat respectable by that point, you know, we had um, a little bit of a presence on Amazon. Like I said, drugstore.com, a few other websites. Uh, and we're starting to talk to retailers. We actually got into Bass Pro shops um, in early 2014. So we had a little bit of traction going. So we um, uh, reached back out to her and started the conversation back up. Um, in 2014, we made it to um, the round of the process where we were talking pretty frequently with producers. Um, and we made it up until like the, the cut line of they were either going to call us out to LA or they were going to say, you know, sorry, guys, you didn't make it. And they did not call us out to LA, but they did say, um, you guys are right there. Um, this was towards the summer or fall of 2014. So they said, give us a call um, in the spring of, of 2015 and let's see where you guys are at. So um, time went on, we kept building, you know, kept, uh, you know, kept hustling. And um, in the spring of 2015, we got a meeting with Kroger um, at their headquarters in Cincinnati. And we were able to strike a nationwide deal with Kroger for dude wipes to go in their toilet paper aisles nationwide. So, um, at that, around that same time, we had reached back out to the producer, um, talked to her about all the momentum we had going unbelievable timing that Kroger was coming on board. Um, they liked the way things were trending. Um, they sped us up to that process, uh, the end of the process where we were, talking with producers on a weekly basis. Um, and they gave us the nod out to LA in June of 2015. And at that point, I, I think some of you were, one of you was full-time in the business, but the others weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Sean was, uh, Sean was full-time. Um, I think around late 2013, early 2014. Um, we had went out to an incubator in Texas in 2013. And when we got home from that, um, Sean just, uh, had quit his job and, and he like ran the business, um, you know, as, as the first full-time employee. And then when did the rest of you make the two questions, when did the rest of you make the jump to full-time and what triggered that? Was there a revenue level or a, other event that caused you to go, okay, now, now's the time to be really in this full-time. Yeah. So, um, Skipping ahead then to, to June of 2015, we pitch on Shark Tank um, out in LA. Everything goes well. 
Um, we air in 20, uh, October of 2015, um, shows we got the deal with Mark Cuban, um, you know, sales again, take the next leap. Um, and by that point, you know, things were busy enough to where, uh, and we had obviously immense opportunities to pursue, uh, given the shark tank, um, opportunity, uh, and exposure to where I came on board, uh, February 1st of 2016. How how big of a shift was it after you aired? I mean, the first couple of days, first couple of hours, what did it do for sales? And then, you know, how much of that stayed on and how much of it tapered off? No, it was it was great. I mean, you know, frankly, like we weren't one of those people where it was like we did, you know, three hundred thousand dollars on our website that night. It wasn't anything like that. Um, it was just great exposure for the brand. You have to think, too, we were creating a category. so. Uh, this was still new, a ton of education process needed to be done to, you know, within the U.S. Um, with this, you know, flushable wipe product and, and how you use it. Um, so it just helped, you know, you know, reaffirm our, you know, kind of vision and, you know, keep us going, keep us motivated. It helped Kroger sales uh, definitely and probably keep us on shelves. Um and then with that, you know, with Kroger and with Shark Tank and Mark on board, we were then able to pound pavement even more, walks super confident into other meetings with other retailers, grow on Amazon and, you know, continue the trajectory forward. But, you know, we always tell people like, you know, oh, you're on Shark Tank. Was, yeah, it, it's amazing. There's no doubt. But in our minds, that's just when the work starts. Like, you know, no, no one is you know, you know, overnight gazillionaires just because you air on Shark Tank. Yeah, there's millions of people watching, but that's just when the work starts. So um, it just made us more focused. And and that's really when we when we got going. What what's the finish out the org structure now? So with the co-founders, what are the four roles and responsibilities? Do you guys view yourself at the top and then have a team below that? I'm just curious organizationally how that all fell into place. Yeah. So um, to take you through the next few years, that was like 2016 um, through basically, and you know, you can ask questions about what happened in between there, but 2016 to, to really um, January of 2021, uh, the four of us just did, uh, were the only uh, employees really? and we kept it that lean and we just outsource partners of every aspect of the business. So we outsource brokers to help us on the, um, with all our retail relationships, you know, we already had a three PL well in place, um, that did all the warehousing and logistics. Um, you know, we, we hired marketing teams that we managed, um, you know, web teams, so on and so forth. We did social media ourselves. Um, so it was the four of us until January of 2021. Um, and now um, we're CEO, CFO, CMO, and then we have uh, teams under us. We've hired, I think, uh, 14 people in the last like uh, 14 months. So for as long as possible, you guys obviously did everything yourselves or outsourced to other vendors, partners, people. Yep. If you had to do it again, do you think that was the right path? And for an entrepreneur, 100%. 100%. Okay. Cause that's, you know, that's against conventional wisdom. And that's, you know, we, Joe and I like when we hear that and we're constantly yeah. 
advising people to do that. But people think got to hire, got to hire, need to have someone sitting here that I can. Oh, no, the, the whole the whole notion. You got to go raise money. You got to you know, you got to hire people. It's never going to work. Just work. Just do it yourself. You know, just work. So, so what you know, were those what were those things that you outsourced? Like what were some of the responsibilities and, and, and what types of companies were you outsourcing them to? Yeah. So starting with warehousing and logistics, we were very lucky to hit it on the head with our first company that we ever worked with uh, that started storing, I don't know, probably something laughable, like five pallets or something like that back in like 20, 2013. Um, they grew with us along the way, which was great. So warehousing and logistics. Um, and it's out of Elk Grove Village, great company called CTL Global, um, right by O'Hare Airport. Um, so can't get better placement in terms of distribution, you know, in the center of the country to everywhere we are in an omni-channel presence nationally now. Um, from a marketing perspective, we just kind of did everything ourselves in terms of uh, grassroots marketing, um, uh, looking for sampling opportunities with our, you know, our small little packets of dude wipes, very economical to sample um, throughout the, the early days of the company. That was the rise of like subscription boxes. And a lot of those companies looking to get off the ground were just looking for products to fill their boxes. So we were able to get a ton of free opportunities to tens of thousands of people like that um, to get wipes out there that way. Um, so yeah, a lot of the marketing was done amongst, you know, uh, the founders group. Um, we would, um, go on to hire some, you know, paid media consultants, you know, to do, uh, uh, our online paid media through Amazon, through social media, you know, Google, YouTube, all that stuff. Um, we outsourced, um, some accounting stuff as we grew. Um, we also, um, what else, what else? I mean, pretty much every aspect of the business you can think of. We Oh, oh, the other major one, which I, I mentioned, which was super um, important in our opinion, in our journey, and I'd recommend this to other CPG companies, um, was broker groups. Um, you know, in our position, especially in the early days when we didn't have a leg to stand on, um, it's really tough to get retail meetings. It's really tough to get in contact with that perfect buyer uh, or if you do to get a response from them. So, um, if you get with the right broker groups, which we did, um, at each particular retailer. So we had one that specialized with target. All they did was work with target, same with Walmart, same with Amazon. Um, they helped us really manage those businesses for guys coming in outside of retail with no retail experience, um, to really understand how the retail uh guerrilla works especially because all of the big four or five work differently as well um in terms of just their day-to-day -day operations um you know uh doing you know couponing and thing you know all all of that stuff so uh retail brokers but were, were huge for us yeah that representation in your industry is so important it's so hard to to start from a cold stretch, uh, scratch place. <laughs> Their relationships are golden. Uh, question for you, Ryan. It, there was is just the four of you for years, and then over the last year or so, you've added 14, 15 employees. Um, explain a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how that felt. What you've learned 
uh, as you uh, hired talent, put them in place, and started to, to lead them, what were some of the uh, lessons and, and what's changed and what have you learned from really going from just four, you know, four owners to now, a, you know, a, a nice a group <laughs> employee count? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's been, uh, I mean, first of all, it's been amazing to uh, like take some stuff off our plates, you know, so it's, it's been nice in that, in that regard. Um, but we, uh, we started on the operations side. We hired uh, an operations uh, director of operations. Uh, his name's uh, Greg Brown. Great guy. He came over from RX Bar. Um, we had, you know, he's uh, from the Chicago area, so we kind of knew of him. Um, he was involved with, you know, a scale of RX Bar uh, from, you know, I think like 15 or 20 million to like almost like 100 million so in sales. So he had that expert expertise um, in kind of cleaning up our logistics, you know, getting us sort of to the next level, um, and really, you know, uh, creating that efficiency in terms of just, uh, day-to-day operations, um, not only with our D to C business, which is kind of small in our case, but also even, even more so, um, with the big retailers. Um, so we started on the op side, um, Greg has hired a couple people under him, um, to smoothen that out. Um, Sean kind of oversees them. Sean, you know, kind of led a lot of our ops um, and grew that relationship with our uh, 3PL um, throughout the years. Um, from there, we also um, then went to the accounting side. Uh, we hired um, a controller um, and a few other accountants. Um, Jeff oversees them. Um, and then I've been working with um some outside, still some outside uh, agent agency that uh, helps me on the marketing side that I that I really like, um, and uh, we have also hired a, a creative director, um, you know, to help keep um, pushing content out, which is just you know content is king these days. Yeah. Uh, helping us, you know, um, keep content moving uh, on all of our dot coms, um, Amazon. Uh, social media, all that good stuff. Um, and we also hired an e-commerce director as well um, to kind of run all of e-commerce, specifically Amazon as Amazon is, um, you know, uh, our t- one of our top two customers. Because I'm mentally drawing your table of organization in my head and I wonder how, uh, how the process evolved of deciding who to hire in, in what uh, priority. What was the intention there? How were some of those decisions made to uh, beef up your table of organization and make those hires? Yeah, I mean, it was simply put, um, you know, the product doesn't get where it needs to go. We don't have a business, you know, so um, getting the logistics and operations side taken care of and and cleaned up. Um, Sean did an amazing job getting it to where it, where it was without any experience at all. Um, and, you know, credit to our, our 3PL as well, who grew with us, you know, with infrastructure, um, you know, they bought more retail or yeah, they bought more, um, warehouse space to grow with us to, you know, as our, uh, inventory started expanding, uh, you know, invested in, uh, software and things like that to grow with us as well. Um, so really, um, with as much product as we have going out on a weekly basis, um, it was just it was a no brainer to start on the operation side. 
because you waited so long, I mean, it sounds like about as long as you possibly could to really start bringing in outsiders to, to join the family and work there. Do you think it allowed you to bring in a much higher caliber group of people because you had gotten the company to such a level where you could attract and pay for that type of person? Yeah, uh, I would totally agree with that. Yeah, we were able to attract uh, highly experienced um professionals in every niche that we did hire in of the, of the business. And like you said, we're able to pay them, you know, kind of what they deserve to attract that type of uh, skill set um, that we needed at the time. So totally. I can't, I can't imagine you're getting the the gentleman that helps scale Laura bar. Or I'm sorry, RX. RX bar. RX bar. To, yeah. to, there's a million of them out there now, but they're all massive companies. But to get someone from there, you, you wouldn't have been able to do it in 2016, 2017, but no. unless you gave them half the company, but, but you, that, you know, I think the moral of the story is if you wait as long as possible, really high level people that frankly are overqualified can come into your organization and you can trust them to, to teach you things that you guys could have never figured out. And it's more people need to do that. Uh, customer feedback. How, how have your customers shaped uh, new SKUs, um, new products completely, the future of the company, you know, how do you get customer feedback and what have they done for the company? Yeah. So uh, we get customer feedback a number of ways, um, you know, you know, through just general straight up inquiries to the website um, with comments, um, social media comments, um, whether it's on posts or direct messages, um, obviously reviews on Amazon, so on and so forth. Um, you know, we have, if you look at our reviews on Amazon, we have, you know, you know, tens of thousands of reviews, almost, uh, you know, hundred thousand, maybe even over a hundred thousand reviews across all of our SKUs. Most of them average anywhere from like 4.5 to 4.8 stars, which is huge. Um, so we, we definitely take their feedback. Um, in the early days, we didn't have really smooth dispensing of our flow pack. Um, and people were getting frustrated with that. So, you know, that was something that we addressed right away with our manufacturer. Um, we, we look for their ideas, um, or feedback on, um, a multitude of things from, uh, you know, customer experience to, uh, yeah, just general use of the product. Um, we started with the on the go singles, and then they told us they wanted the, the flow pack for in their homes. So that's what we did. Um, you know, they, then they, you know, people were asking for a different scent, you know, so we came out with the mint chill a couple years ago, um, that's doing extremely well. Um, now they're asking for, um, uh, they want like a, uh, a wipes holder, you know, so we're looking into things like that. So, um, we, 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 are the good thing about our group and our customers is we, we look at them truly as, as family and we feel that support from them. And our brand is truly uh, has emotional engagement um, with our fans. You know, people walk around and talk about dude wipes and carry dude wipes as, as a truly as a badge of honor, which is, you know, just truly amazing and unbelievable. You know, our, our word of mouth rate, um, you know, is like 10 X of what another company gets um, just because of <clears throat> the cool fun nature of the brand and the marketing, what it does, you know, people, for whatever reason, love talking about potty talk amongst their group of friends. Um, so our, our, you know, our customers are 
you know, truly everything to us. And um, we have a blast, you know, interacting with them, you know, um, the, the way we've been able to, to build the, uh, the brand voice over the years, it's truly just a conversation daily on social media and um, having so much fun and, and they get us and we get them. And um, it's been fun. And, and, you know, we, we truly like to just put out content for people uh, as that other voice in the, as that other friend in the room, uh, part of the group of friends is what the, what our brand is to people. Um, and we love, you know, kind of just making them laugh and giving them great products. How would your team, uh, how would your team describe the culture of your company? What's it feel like to work there? Super laid back, fun, and just be yourself. I think, I think our employees would say they, they are, um, you know, can't even believe that, you know, that, that we, we treat, we don't look at our employees as employees. Like we look at everybody being on the same team. So it's not like, you know, when I'm talking to, you know, Greg from operations or, you know, um, uh, Andy that we just hired our, our creative director. Like, I don't look at him like I'm his boss or anything like that. We're just, you know, we're, we see each other as all equals, you know, rowing in the same direction. And, you know, I, I think they feel that and that they can truly just be themselves. Everybody, the floor is open to everybody at any time. Someone in accounting can say, hey, you know, I was with some people over the weekend and they mentioned XYZ for marketing. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll listen to that. Let's look into it, you know? So anybody can come up, you know, speak up and come up with an idea or, um, you know, some suggestions and we're all ears. Brian, uh, speaking to culture again, what are some of the characteristics, the top two or three characteristics that you really look for um, when you're hiring someone, when you're attracting someone to the team? Yeah, obviously it depends on what the role is. Um, you know, obviously we look for uh, the skill set there that um, whatever whatever that particular role is, but truly it is more about their, their personality, their demeanor, and are they going to be a good fit for the team? Um, you know, we don't have any egos around here. You know, we don't like, you know, you know, me, me, me type people. Um, so, uh, just really get along with people. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, and, and ready to have some fun, but also superiorly determined and, and wanting to, to work extremely hard, uh, have fun doing it, but are, you know, really trying to help this thing grow, um, as much as possible. Are you having fun and has it always been fun? Is it more fun now than it was at other points? I'm always curious about that. Just the <laughs> kind of fun and, and overall attitude. Do you hate towards your business the, the, today? Do you love yeah. your business today? <laughs> I'm having a blast. I'm having an absolute blast. I mean, you know, I can pop online at any time and, you know, post something, you know, silly that inspires me that I saw while watching the golf today or whatever, you know, uh, we, we, truly get ingrained in, you know, pop culture conversation online. Um, we're doing, you know, just making up our, you know, uh, packaging and stuff like that in the early days was a blast. Um, you know, we, we truly wanted to, uh, I should step back and say authenticity is kind of the cornerstone of our company. Um, you know, we wanted from day one for people to know that this wasn't a brand built by suits and a corporate uh, boardroom. This is just for, you know, regular everyday guys, um, that can connect with you, 
Um, and that's truly our, our personalities. So, uh, yeah, totally having a blast have always has every single day been a blast. Um, especially when it was just a, a few of us, um, you know, trying to climb this mountain, you know, no, very stressful days. Um, some, you know, the old, I'm sure everybody's been there, you know, what am I doing with my life type thing? Um, but the eye has always been on the prize. We've always envisioned being here and even further. Um, but we were always realistic to know that um, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you, you really just got to put the work in. And even though a lot of days may seem like you're not going anywhere, um, you truly are, you know, climbing, uh, you know, slowly but surely. What was the biggest mistake you guys made? The biggest mistake we made was trying to uh, get over our skis in the uh, our suite of products. So we uh, at one point envisioned, you know, dude, everything, you know, dude, body wash, you know, dude, deodorant, dude, deodorant spray, uh, dude, gear. Um, so we got out of that realm and we learned pretty quickly um, when we were, we were lucky enough to get some opportunities on retail shelves with, uh, you know, um, deodorant, body wash, like stuff like that. Um, but that, those are crowded markets with big, big brands. So, um, it's tough to play around in those spaces. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, the pandemic, uh, and the rush for toilet paper and flushable wipes really helped us take a step back, reset and refocus and say, this is where we need to be, you know, flushable wipes. They're 95% of our business. This is, you know, still an amazing opportunity um in the country household penetration is only at around 28 percent right now <clears throat> toilet paper is at a hundred percent household penetration in the u.s so there's massive leaps we can still take it's a smaller market in terms of com competitors um we've risen to the number two uh flushable white brand in the country it's cottonelle than us we were actually bigger than Charmin um in flushable wipes um so uh, that was our, our biggest mistake was just trying to come out with too many products instead of just focusing, but we didn't veer off path for too long. Um, you know, we're back solely on flushable wipes. We've refocused on, uh, when we did refocus, we went from trying to get, um, you know, our, our single, uh, 48 count dispenser pack, uh, that was in, you know, most retail doors in the country to talking with those buying teams to get the multi-packs in there. So three pack, two packs, three packs, four packs, if you can picture those stacked on top of each other. Um, and we've just kind of executed on that plan within the last 12 months. Um, and now we're starting to reap those benefits as all those planograms have just reset and, you know, sales are soaring, um, you know, at, at all of our major, major customers. So um, that's definitely kind of the road uh, we took where we hit a little speed bump, you know, got lost a little bit trying to be, you know, everything to everybody. Um, and then, you know, learn to stay in our lane. Well, and it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I know Manscaped is one that I'm thinking of. And I, I think maybe like uh, Harry's Razors has done this too, where they've tried to do everything. Yep. And I, and I don't know, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's a terrible. dollar shave club, dollar shave club too. You yeah. know, Mr. Carver is this, this, you know, they, they, can't, they probably you know, using like, the same shampoo. <laughs> just probably like, how many kinds yeah. of shampoo are there? I'm like, I, I, I did it. I bought the manscaped shampoo and I'm like, I mean, I'm, this is the same thing yeah. that I could buy for a 
eighth of the price. Why did I do this to myself? But, you know, again, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. But your your lane is let's dominate at this one category. Exactly. And, you know, the market share that we have is proving it right now. We have uh, over 30% market share on Amazon right now. Um, We're kind of us and us and Cottonelle, you know, account for like 75, 80% of the market share on Amazon in the category. And then, um, you know, we're slowly but surely growing that share uh, in brick and mortar as well. So we're super excited about that. We're going to be coming out with new scents. We're getting into new aisles um, and, um, you know, really, really pushing forward um, in, in our small little niche, which, um, you know, isn't, isn't so bad. Brian, I want to share with you that, uh, and I told you this offline, I'm a big fan of the product. It came to my radar through my wife. My wife ordered a number of flow packs on Amazon and handed them to me and said, hey, uh, use these. So I'm not sure what she was trying to tell me, uh, <laughs> but uh, the product, your product made my butt very, very happy. So I, anyone that. listening or watching this, any dude out there, great product. It's going to make you very happy. And the new scent you guys just came out with, with a, a marinara sauce, a spaghetti sauce scent, I recommend it highly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we would say, we say all along, you know, um, it's a win-win for everybody, you know, for, for the ladies in the house, you know, it gets rid of that dude stank and the guys get to feel, you know, cleaner as well by, by using our stuff. So everybody wins. Have you guys, do you have a clear exit strategy in terms of timeline or size in place or, Hey, let's keep doing this while it's fun. And we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Or do you ever receive unsolicited offers to, to buy the company? You know, where's your head at with all of that? Yeah, right now we're just kind of rolling with the punches. Um, you know, we've gotten over, over hurdles, you know, that, you know, obviously come along the way with any growing company. Uh, the only capital we've raised to date is the 225k from Mark back in 2015, um, and we've been able to grow our uh, access to capital with you know the the I guess traditional way or untraditional way, however you want to look at that. From like we talked about earlier, where people just love raising money. Um, so there's no gun to our head right now. Um, you know we are just um, having a blast and you know looking to um, you know get some more big whales out there in terms of uh, uh, retail customers that we have um, our eyes on and, um, you know, see what happens. You glad you did the deal with Mark because that was one of the most interesting, I thought, transactions that took place at the tail end there. Um, I, I don't think I had previously seen your episode, but had heard of your product. And I looked at Joe towards the end of the pitch and I said, wash Cuban swoop in. And so he's, laughing at me. he's like, Oh, you saw this. Haha. I'm like, no, I just saw the look in his eye. So did you, did you sense that live there? Um, are you glad that it worked out the way it did? Uh, really just curious. Yeah, no, it, it was a pretty intense negotiation there for people listening that haven't seen it between us, uh, Robert and, uh, Kevin, um, we were haggling with Kevin and Robert for a while. Marcus, who we wanted walking in obviously. Um, but he was out at an early stage. So we were still like happy with a couple offers out there trying to, uh, get them together, uh, two sharks together, uh, Kevin and Robert. Um, and then the negotiation went on and on and on. And I had no sense for Mark. I was like, you know, stone cold locked on what was going on and 
you know, you're starting to tremble a little bit. Like, do we just take a bad deal or just to get a deal or do we walk out of here? You know, like, um, and then much to our surprise, out of nowhere from my left, I just hear, I'll do it. And like, yeah, let's go. Sorry guys. We're out of here. <laughs> yeah. It was a little contentious and, you know, I, and I was surprised because Mark seemed very resolute on, Hey, it would take way too much marketing capital to get you guys where you want to go. I'm out. And it seemed very resolute. So um, glad it worked out so well. What have you learned from uh, Cuban's team? Yeah, he's great. You know, he's had a team uh, at our disposal, you know, throughout the entire process. Uh, he himself is readily available whenever. Um, it's great to just, you know, pick his brain for advice and things like that. But um, the other great side of it is <clears throat> that I tell people, you know, if, if you raise money from, you know, angels or VCs or whatever, you know, they're going to be all over you, you know. So, uh, you know, for, you know, uh, you know, monthly reports and blah, 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 you know what I mean? And, and micromanaging you. Mark just, you know, trusts us as kind of letting us do our thing in our category. Um, he's, you know, got the, the the big answers from just, you know, general business perspective and, you know, being the bright and successful guy that he is. Um, his door is always open. His team's door is always open, but they just let us be who we are. Um, and, and I think that's one of the biggest advantages. Um, so they've been great. When you get, you get a VC that gave you some money, you know, you gave up some equity and for whatever reason, they decided that they wanted you to have, you know, 500 SKUs in every category and they wanted you to basically be Manscaped or Dollar Shave Club or any of these companies. What are you going to do? You're right, probably exactly. going to have to say yes. Exactly. Then you're going to feel like it's their vision, not yours. So your heart's not in it. Yep. And who the hell knows what happens at that point, but that that's real life. So, you know, exactly. by you guys just hunkering down and saying, all right, we're going to keep going, keep our head down. You were able to create whatever you wanted. And ultimately you made a better decision than the super successful, wealthy uh, venture capital money that would have come in. They could have given you terrible advice. No, absolutely. And uh, couldn't be happier that we went kind of the road less traveled um because we've been able to to do do it our own way like you said you know may have taken us a bit longer to get there or get or, or when we get there or whatever or get here whatever however you want to call it but uh i couldn't be happier with the way it, it's gone down and uh where we're at and um how the future's looking moving forward two two more quick ones i'm just curious with you and your partners what's your communication cadence like do you guys uh all share an office do you all work remotely uh, do you see each other every day? How often do you have formal meetings? Like what's the, the cadence of communication amongst the four of you and, and how has that evolved over time? Yeah, I mean, we usually speak daily, whether it's through uh, various email chains we're on or, or tech, uh, uh, group text messages or direct text messages with each other, uh, phone calls if, you know, with whatever's going on, uh, but usually on a daily basis. <clears throat> um, we see each other on weekly calls. We're all on, uh, depending on which teams it's with and, and whatnot. Um, we do as a group, we have a monthly meeting, um, that we kind of do the state of the dude in, um, of what's going on with the previous, the previous month, everybody is in on that meeting, um, from the whole company. So they know exactly what's going on. Um, they can chime in or, you know, just kind of uh, sit back and listen, but they know what's going on from, how many units we moved out the previous month to what the revenue was uh, with each of our, you know, top five retailers uh, where, you know, cash flow sitting, so on and so forth. So everybody's involved. 
from top to bottom. Um, and in terms of where everybody works, uh, we don't have an office policy. We just got an office in September, first office we've ever had as dude products. Um, and uh, <clears throat> you can be uh, fully remote if you want. Um, yeah, there's no policy on going in. You can go in once a week, never, twice a week, whatever you want. Um, everybody for the most part lives in the city, downtown Chicago. Um, I live in the suburb about, you know, 40 minutes away. So, um, I just have an office at my house. I, I work, uh, really fully remote unless, you know, there's meetings going on down there, um, that, um, I like to be down there for. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty laid back, um, procedure. We for got all going. you kids listening out there, you can raise a bunch of money and have a fancy office and answer to other people and lose control of your company, or you can just hustle and bootstrap and, and look what happens. There Joe, you do you have any other questions before I ask my final one? No, love the love the story and love that you've uh, been so patient and, and disciplined. Uh, you're you're cut out of our cloth, so uh, a lot of what you're saying resonates with us. And no, I just you know I really a big fan of the product. Again, urge everyone, every dude out there, every dudette who wants your dude to be to have a happier butt, go get this product. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and actually, last... actually, you probably can't see that sign because yeah. I'm blurred, but it says the best view, the best view comes after the hardest climb. So I love that quote. Um, and it's so true. So um, and, that, and my final question is where's the best place for people to buy the product? Do you mostly sell individual boxes, subscriptions? What's where should people go and, and what should they uh, expect? You can pretty, uh, national omni-channel presence. So you can pretty much find us at uh, every grocery store in the country near you. Uh, we're in every Walmart, every Target, every Kroger. Uh, we're in Publix, we're in Harris Teeter, we're in um, ShopRite. Um, those are, you know, some off the top of my head from a brick and mortar standpoint, out West, Smith's, Fry's, Ralph's, um, in Colorado, uh, King Super. Um, uh, and then Amazon. I mean, Amazon's got everything. So, and you can get it in, in a day. <laughs> so awesome. dude product, dudeproducts.com. Follow us at dude wipes. We have fun every day on social. Like I was saying, um, you'll probably get a kick out of our email blasts and things like that. So, uh, appreciate you, uh, you guys checking us out. Uh, no, you, you guys, congratulations on your success. You, you just seem like fantastic people and so happy for you. And, Look Thank forward you. to con continuing to uh, follow the journey. Appreciate it, guys. If you ever uh, need anything or, or, or want to chat again, let me know. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right, we're back. Uh, man, Ryan is a sharp entrepreneur. What a great story. There were a ton of lessons in this one. Um, a couple that I jotted down that I want to share. First of all, they outsourced almost everything. And... I'm a big outsource fan. Uh, you know, I think early on it's easy for entrepreneurs because they either raised a bunch of money or they're new at things. Uh, they say, oh, well, we need this role, so we got to hire someone. Ugh, 
Um, I, I hate it for a lot of reasons. I could probably spend an hour uh, giving you a whole rant about it. But the reality is, is that when you outsource, you have access to someone that is already doing a function at a high level. So when you outsource your bookkeeping, you're outsourcing it to a firm that has a team of bookkeepers that does this for all kinds of businesses that can anticipate uh, things that you can't anticipate, that knows how to do things far better than you can do. And they're a heck of a lot cheaper than hiring someone full-time that you may not have full-time rule for. You wouldn't even know how to manage them because you don't even know how to do it at a high level. So you get the idea, but outsource to experts. Uh, it, it not only gets better quality work done, but it saves you a lot of money and time as well. It's, it's just a no-brainer. Um, you know, his theory was bootstrapping and I, I'm biased to that as well. Uh, I don't believe that a business needs to raise money some do, some have big ambitions that take a ridiculous amount of funding. Um, you can't build certain businesses without a tremendous amount of funding. But for companies like this, for most companies that are on Shark Tank, for most companies that most of us as entrepreneurs start, you can bootstrap and you can grab a little bit of money to build a prototype and maybe an initial batch of your product or to get a website up for your service, to get some basic marketing collateral put together. Maybe there's some friends and family, maybe it's maxing out credit cards, maybe it's staying with your job for the first six months of creating the business so that you have cash flow to be able to do these things. Uh, maybe it's taking out uh, a second mortgage if you own a home. I mean, I know some of these things may be terrifying, but I'd rather do that and bet on myself than beg someone to give me money early on that's going to get a substantial amount of my business, probably tell me how to run my business, screw up my cap table, and I, I just, I don't like that. And so he's a bootstrapper. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, the quote I wrote down was, don't raise, just work. And I love that. Um, leveraging broker groups to help, uh, you know, consumer goods like this sell their product. Why not go to brokers that have relationship with the stores than you trying to get in there cold? So I love that model. And you just build your pricing so that you can compensate the broker and still make a margin. Um, he said, and I quote here, look at customers as family. I like that. So our customers aren't these little peasants that buy our product. They're people that are part of the company, right? And so when they give us feedback, when they say, hey, your packaging uh, is terrible, or, oh, I hated this scent, or uh, your prices are too high. I mean, take that and, and, and really like understand it as if a family member were telling you, not just some random person. And I thought that was great. And the last thing was just around culture. I mean, I think you could tell that from Ryan's vibe, but you know, fun culture, laid back culture. And he said something that I, I thought was really important. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I'll tell you, this is my philosophy. I, I think this is how you treat your team and your employees as an entrepreneur. We are all on the same team. It's not an adversarial relationship. It's not, hey, I have the big corner office and I'm talking down to you because I give you a paycheck. No, we're all, we're all here trying to do the same thing. We've got this pretty cool product that we're trying to sell more of. Let's work together. You know, we don't need some fancy organizational charter. Oh, if you have an idea, talk to her because she's your boss. I mean, you know, and just that that's garbage. And, and I think that, you know, the, the entrepreneurs that we've spoken to that are really crushing it, like him, uh, they, they view it this way. They're like, hey, we're, we're all wearing the same jersey here, so let's go out there and, and win some games. And I think that's a great mentality to have. So awesome entrepreneur, great company. They're absolutely killing it. It was, it was such a fun conversation. Hope you learned a lot, and we'll see you next week on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank.